everybody. My name's Mark, and I'm thrilled to be able to be here with you to uh, deliver this message for this Sunday. Uh, believe it or not, this is actually my second time recording this message because after the first time, I took a look at it and realized, oh, my headphones were on, which are downstairs, which were nowhere near me. So it was a whole message of me going, So anyway, uh, again, my name is Mark. Um, it's been three years since I've been with you, uh, and I miss you guys dearly, and I look forward to a time when I can be up there in person. I wish I could have been there in person now, but the scheduling and all just didn't work out uh, this time. But I look forward to being there, and hopefully at a time when we don't have to have a mask on. So um, uh, let me see. So since the time that, that we were with you, uh, I don't know if you recall, but during that time I was laid off and things were pretty chaotic and we moved to Roxborough where we worked with Nate and Julie Lamb, uh, where Laura was the children's pastor and, and I was helping out there as well. And then um, as it, everything came together, I actually got a job down here in Colorado Springs as a firefighter. And so um, after getting through the academy with young guys whom some of them, I could have been their father and um, getting through the academy, graduating, we then moved down here to Colorado Springs, and we're now part of Springs Journey Church with John Serio, and Laura is the children's pastor there, and I'm helping out with things there as well. Um, firefighting's been adventurous, and I'm actually gonna be starting paramedic school on October 5th. Evelyn is now in high school, Hank is in junior high, and Sam is in his last year of elementary school. They are 14, 12, and 10, and they are growing up fast. So, um, uh, Laura, she's having a great time uh, doing children's ministry and all, and we do miss you guys dearly. We think of you often, and Will is a dear friend, and I have huge respect for him, and thank you for loving him and caring for him as your pastor as well, and I know that you'll be, continue to be blessed um, as he leads your church. Um, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy year, has it not? And one thing I know is when things are uncertain, when things are crazy, the best place to go to is God's word because it doesn't change. And it helps bring us perspective and understand that this crazy time now, it is just a season, it's just a time. God is still in control and he's still on his throne. God created us to be with him and for everything to be right and perfect. And when things fell apart, he went to... Um, regain a relationship with humanity and he spotted one man his name was Abraham he was a faithful man and he told Abraham to pick up everything he had and to move away and so he does so uh, and then he tells him that he is going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky now that's a pretty wild thing to say to Abraham because at the time he was an old man his wife was an old woman beyond the time when people had children and they had no kids whatsoever. And so God made a miracle and they had a child. And then they, um, uh, the descendants uh, came beyond that. But to get descendants as many as the stars in the sky, he was talking about those who were descendants through faith, which are you and me. But getting there, getting to here from there was a wild ride in which God worked and awesome, awesome ways. And we're going to read about some of that today. 
in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, it is after the book of Ezekiel in your Bibles, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. I invite you to get yours out with me. And then, by all means, get out a pen and, and highlight a few things. And I like to make my Bible just as usable as I can. And so you'll see I've got just all kinds of writings and whatnot um, in my Bible. Um, in the book of Daniel, uh, this, this whole promise was, was given to Abraham. And sure enough, he had many descendants and, and there were the 12 tribes uh, of Israel. And the 12 tribes were the 12 sons of uh, Israel. And, and they uh, came into the promised land and there were many of them. But slowly they started to not follow God anymore. They kind of depended upon themselves. As, as they thrived and prospered, the idea of the need for God kind of went to the wayside. And so they began to worship other gods or they began to just not follow God. And God would send these prophets to tell them, hey, listen, if you don't turn back to me, if you don't turn back to God, then you, you will be taken away. You'll be gone. And again, there's this promise of something yet to come, something phenomenal yet to come. We now know today it's, it's the Messiah and he's going to come through these people. But little by little, the whole nation broke down from Israel to Israel and Judah, and, and they broke on down, and, and they just started falling away, and they're being overtaken or intermarried or whatever it be by these other nations, these other influences, till all that was left was this tiny little remnant of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a significant city, significant city up on a hill, but that was it. That's all that remained. And sure enough, that Jer Jeremiah came. He was kind of like the last prophet, and he, he's called the prophet of tears. Um, the, the weeping prophet, because he speaking for God, he says, my head is full of tears and anguish because my people have just fallen away. My people have left me. My people have forgotten about me. And he says, if there's just one righteous man among you, just one, then I will spare you all. And eventually the day came when there wasn't even one. And so Babylon came in, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and they held Jerusalem siege, and the king, he tried to sneak away, and they caught him, and they brought him back inside, and they tied him up, and right in front of him, they killed his son and then plucked his eyes out. So the last thing that he saw was his son's death, and then the king took that king as a trophy back to Babylon with him. Well, when a nation would overtake another nation. They would take everything of value that they could. This wasn't just money or food or whatever. It was also their people. And so what they did in particular was they took the finest of the young men and they decided we're going to make them some of us. And so they took uh, the finest of the young Jewish boys and they would bring them in and they would, they gave them all new names, new clothes, everything. Well, among these were four in particular, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Now, Daniel is actually his original name. His name was changed to Belshazzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually their new names. But anyway, we'll just call them Shadrach, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. So the four. And they're taken, and um, this 
the situation arose while they're there in Babylon and they're kind of getting retrained, like a basic training. And Nebuchadnezzar kept having this dream. And this dream troubled him. And this you can find this in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar was having this dream and he said that it troubled him so much, he was telling all of his wise men and all of his magicians everything. He said, I need someone to come and tell me about this dream. What does this mean? It keeps haunting me. He said, but, and, and he said, if nobody does, I'm going to kill you all. Now, that's a pretty big threat. And he said, but I know you guys could get all kind of wise and you could give me an interpretation of the dream, but not really know that it was anything to do with the dream. So you not only need to tell me the interpretation of the dream, you must tell me the dream I'm dreaming first in order for me to know that you're telling me the right thing. This is impossible. So all these guys, are they know they're about to die, and Daniel catches wind of this. Well, Daniel says, you know, I think I can do something about this. And he speaks up uh, to his guards as he hears that all these people are about to get killed. And he says, take me to the king. And he says, I think I can do something for this. And he goes before the king and he says to the king, now get this, this is a very important thing. One of the major points of today's message is Daniel's purpose and mission was always to reveal God. Even while he's there in another land, even while he's a servant and a slave or captive, his mission was to reveal God. So he goes up before the king and now he knows if he miss, if he doesn't please the king, he's dead. But he says to the king, by the way, king, no wise man, this is verse 27 of chapter 2 in Daniel, verse 27. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. And the king, you can imagine this frown starts to get on his face like, yeah, well then they're all dead. And then Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who reveals mystery, mysteries. And so Daniel tells him, King, here's your dream. Your dream is of the statue. And I'm just going to paraphrase this real quick. Your dreams of the statue and at the top of the statue is gold and it goes down into silver and it goes down into bronze. It goes down into all these metals. And then finally at the bottom, it's clay and it's cracked and it's broken. He says, King, here's what it means, by the way. And the king's like, wow, he knows my dream. And then he says, King, this is what it means. It means that you're the head, sir. You're that gold. You're, you're that, that magnificent ruling king right now. But next will come another ruler and then another ruler and another ruler and another ruler. At that time, Babylon was the empire of the world. But they weren't going to be forever. Now, to a king, this is just horrible news. A king likes to imagine that their reign and their empire is going to go on forever, forever rule the world. And also their legacy would then as well. So the king, after some time, he stews over this and he's so mad. And he says, you know what? I'm going to declare to everybody that this dream is wrong. So he has a statue made and it's all gold head to toe. Remember, the top of the statue was gold and it was to represent him and his time as king and his empire's reign. He said, instead, this statue is going to be gold from head to toe, every bit of it. In other words, Babylon will always reign. And so he, has, he tells everybody, you must come in. You got to bow before this statue. And, and if you don't do it, by the way, 
you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. So they bring all the people in. And we're not sure where Daniel is at this time. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all get brought in as well. And they're standing there, and they know from memory of this God that they knew in Judea, this God they knew back in Jerusalem. And they know they're not to bow to another God. They're not to bow to another idol. And so the thing happens, and, and they're told as soon as the music starts playing, everybody drop to the ground and acknowledge Babylon will reign forever. So sure enough, the music starts up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still standing. And you can imagine just kind of the worry and the tension there, you know? I imagine one of them goes, you know, guys, it doesn't do us any good to die today. What good could we do for God anyway? We'd be dead. So surely I ought to just bend my knee and get down at least a little bit. So he starts to go down. And I imagine they're holding hands and the two of them looks at them and goes, no, no, we will not bow to the statue. Another one goes, guys, I, I think they're looking at us. They're gonna notice. If we can just maybe get a little bit lower at least, not stand out so much. And the other two look at them and go, no, we're gonna stay up. Sure enough, the guards notice. So they go to the king and they tell the king, King, you recall that you said, if anybody doesn't bow, they get thrown in the furnace. And the king's like, that's right. They said, well, there were three that didn't bow. He says, well, who was it? He says, these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king's like, oh man, I really like those guys. They get brought in and in chapter three, you see, <clears throat> the king's like, guys, I really like you. I'm gonna give you one more chance. Just go out there, all I gotta do is just bow down, show everybody that you were wrong, eat humble pie, and I'll let you live. Listen to this, chapter three, verse 16. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And then get this, this is, this is amazing. He was able to serve us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, even if he does not, you know how many times I try to make a deal with God? You know, God, if, if you'll just do this, then sure enough, you know, I mean, if you'll just keep my car running, if you'll just, if you'll just give me a good day at work today, if you'll just have my kids behave, if you'll just, God, let me have a nap, anything, God, just, you know, if, if, if. How many times have I said, God, even if you don't, even if you don't, and here they are, even if God were did not save us from the furnace, O king, we want you to know we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, of course, the king was none too happy about this. He orders that furnace that they're about to be thrown into to be heated to seven times as hot as it already was. And he, he then has them tied up and then thrown into the furnace. It says it was so hot that the guards that threw them in actually fell over dead. And so the king sits back and he feels pretty good about himself. He took care of that riffraff and he's like, go ahead and tweet this out to all the rest of the kingdom. What happens to those who don't bow before my statues? Right about then, he looks into the furnace 
maybe to get a picture for his Twitter account, and he sees four men unbound walking around talking. He says the one looks like the Son of God. I believe this actually was the Son of God sent down at that moment to meet with them. Could you imagine? You're in a furnace and the Son of God himself actually comes down to congratulate you and tell you what an awesome job you've done. And then the king, he starts yelling, hey, hey, get out here. He wants to talk to them. He wants to see what's going on. Why is this happening? And I imagine if I'm one of them, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, I'm like, hey, hey, Jesus, do I have to leave? I'd rather be here in the flames with you than out there with the king himself. I'd rather be in the flames. Someone say, man, I can't hear you, but you just know this. I'd rather be in the flames with Jesus than to be standing with a king. And Jesus says, you know, guys, your job's not quite done. I need you to go back out there. I need you to go back out there. And so they do. You know, this is a really nice anecdotal story. It's, it's just a, a nice, fun thing. You go, okay, you don't bow, you don't burn. And we've probably all heard it that way before. But it causes a lot of questions for me. And maybe it does for you too. Like, why didn't they bow? I mean, really, why didn't they bow? Surely there were other Jewish boys that were there with them that were in the same situation that all bowed. And they went out and they lived their life and honestly probably didn't know much different about it from that day forward. It was no big deal. They just went on. Why didn't they bow? There's a little clue. And it's back in chapter 1 in Daniel. You see, these boys... They were brought in this situation and everything was stripped from them. Everything. Their name was changed. Their clothes were changed. Their language was changed. Their food, everything was changed. They were told an entirely different history. Their gods were stripped. Their, God, not gods. Their God was stripped from them. Their entire culture, everything, everything was gone. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, this year is a crazy year. It's not the same. But when the things that we know and the things that we count on are pulled away from us, I mean, we're not even going to school right now. Our jobs are changed. For a while, people were just told to stay home from their jobs. They were told not to leave their house. We were, we were wearing all this stuff just to go in the grocery store. The, the, the aisles were bare at the grocery store. If anybody would have told me that this would have happened just a few weeks before it happened, I would have told them they were nuts. But the very foundations of everything we depended upon were suddenly upended. And imagine it happened for these three too in even worse ways. But the one thing they had was they had the king's food. It says of all the things that happened to them, they were able to eat from the king's table. This is the very best of the best. When things are bad, at least you get to eat, right? So, odd thing though, there's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the four. And one day, Daniel decides to talk to, they have this guard, this handler. And he says to them, and keep in mind, 
How did he ever gain the influence to even talk to him about this? He goes to him and it says that he asks him a favor. Who gets to ask favors of their captives? And he says, sir, I would like, and my buddies here, we're not gonna eat this food anymore. Instead, we would like to just have vegetables and water instead. And the guard, he's like, what? This is the best, man. I don't even get to eat this stuff. And besides, if you aren't looking all fit and you're not like looking your best, it's me, it's my life that gets taken, man. Like, like it's not you, you're, it's not your problem, it's my problem. But he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 10 days. I'll give you 10 days to test this, eat your vegetables and, and drink your water, and then we'll see how you look afterward. Well, what do you know? It says that at the end of 10 days, they were, they were more healthy. It actually, the word says they were fatter and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Here's the funny thing though. I don't, they didn't really have to do this. Like, they, they didn't. In fact, some scholars say the food that was on that table, probably there was food enough there they could have still followed their Jewish rules of eating and, and went on about their business. And, and, and it would not, it, like everybody would have been fine. But what they did was they took a piece of something they had and Daniel said, you know, I'm not gonna learn to depend on this king. Everything's taken from me, but there, he gives me this food. I'm not gonna learn to depend on, we get good things in our lives and we learn to depend on them rather than God. Think about that. Do I depend on the good things that come my way rather than actually God who actually gives them to me to begin with? And so Daniel says, I'm gonna forego this. I'm not going to depend on the king. Just give me the basics. And God shows up. And it says they were fatter and better nourished than all the rest. And then it says, God then does something for them. In verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Daniel made space for God to work, and then Daniel was able to do what he was always set out to do, and that was to reveal God. How did he do this? We're told in chapter 2 that when Daniel spoke to those captors, that he, always, that he would speak with wisdom and tact. You see, I'm sure that there were actually Jewish boys there that kind of went to both extremes. There were those that actually, they were brought into captivity in Babylon and they were like, you know what, I actually like this. I like their language, I like the way it sounds, I like these clothes, I like, I like, I like their history, I like all this stuff that they got. You know what, I mean, yeah, I miss home, but this is not too bad actually, I like it. And to them, they may have gained some influence, like they were embraced by their Babylon captors, but they also forgo for they 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 foregone they uh what's the word they gave up on their god there were others that maybe they were they're more zionist they're more passionate about god when they came in they're like no i won't wear those clothes i won't answer that name that you gave me i won't do any of it 
I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to speak your language. I will have nothing of it. And guess what? They may have stood up for God in the moment, but they probably ended up dead. And they had no influence whatsoever. Daniel acted in wisdom and tact. So yeah, he knew he didn't have too much of a choice about some certain things. But when there were things that mattered, like not learning to depend upon the king through the enticement of food, it was what he chose to give up. He chose to give it up. And then to, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to risk their own lives by not bowing to demonstrate God's goodness. I think there's some relevance to this today. Things are really crazy. Things are really nuts. And we can get really worked up over it. We can get in word tussles and whatever, right? But do we earn influence with others? Do we speak with wisdom and tact? Are we not just willing to get into an argument about ideas, but are we willing to forego what we like and what we prefer? in order to make space for God to work? And are we willing to risk our own things, maybe even our life, so that God is revealed? In the end of all this, this pandemic, we'll, we'll move on. 2025 will eventually get here, right? But was God revealed? And was God revealed in us? Back to the story, it's highly significant that God was revealed the way he was. If you go back to chapter 3 again, the three just came out of the furnace. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar says. 180 to return. Listen to this. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and, de and defied the king's command. That's They defied my command and were willing to give up their lives, give up their lives, rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language or say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned to piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. That's a complete change of heart. And this was really important. Remember that promise all the way back to Abraham? You see, his many descendants, the many descendants, as many as the stars in the sky are you and me. We're children of Abraham through faith, is what the Bible tells us. But that thin little line of faith, as it moved through time, was captive in Babylon during this time. It didn't look like it was going to survive. If just those people had just been decided to be wiped out, or if they just decided to give up on God, or whatever it be, Abraham's promise is dead. Instead, there was a change of heart in a king because of some faithful young men. And their faith was built up because they chose to make room for God to work, even in their diet, and God showed up. And that built up their faith enough to not bow to a statue, even when their lives depended on it. And because of that, Years down the road, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, another king, King Artaxerxes, comes into play. And King Artaxerxes, you can read about this even, in, well, you can't read about it because it's not in your language, but the Cyrus scroll that was found in archaeological digs, it even confirms this. 
King Artaxerxes allows Nehemiah and Ezra to return back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, and rebuild the temple, and allows many of the people to return as well. And thus, the line of Abraham remained. And thus, the Messiah, Jesus, is born through that line in a little town called Bethlehem and brings salvation to you and me. Because three young boys. Amazing. They chose to make sure that God was revealed, even in the very worst of times when things are nuts. And my prayer to you today is exactly that. My prayer is that even though things are absolutely crazy, make room for God to work. And when he does, recognize it. Work with others with wisdom and tact. And above all, make it your mission that God is revealed even in a time like this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. For each of us, I'm sure that you speak in our unique situations differently. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would make just touch on that spot in our lives where we need to make room for you to work. Maybe a space, it might, might, might be a sin. It might not even be a sin. But just that place where you want us to devote it over to you, it's our own personal sacrifice, not a point that we're trying to win with others, just it's our own personal sacrifice. And that you would show up and work and thus build our faith. So when that critical time comes and we allow you to be revealed through us that we do so, because it doesn't just change our lives, it changes generations. You, Lord, are still at work, even in the midst of all this, and maybe even more so. So allow us to be your servants in it. Allow us to be those that you're revealed through. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Bye, guys. Love you, and I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Take care.